I want to remind you what uh, deeper life is at Crown College, because our goal for you, uh, and for all of us, but for you who are students, is that when you graduate from Crown College, you will have identified and developed your God-designed purpose in life, and that you will be committed to, motivated, and find the tools to make disciples of people all throughout the rest of your life. And if you graduate and you find your purpose in life and you are committed to making disciples for the rest of your life, we will have done our job. And one of the ways that we do that is to take special time during each semester, which we call Deeper Life, to concentrate in on these topics and these issues in our lives as we try to live them uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit for our Father. And so uh, in your uh, mailboxes, you'll be getting something like this, which describes the meetings that we'll be having this week. And let me just point out one in particular, which is tomorrow at 3 o'clock, where you will want to meet Mark Johnson for a chaplain's chat in the library. Mark, we're really looking forward to you as you are the spokesperson of the Lord with us uh, this week. Uh, may God uh, fill you with his spirit as you speak to us. Thanks for being with us. Join me in welcoming Mark Johnson. Thank you, Dr. Wiggins. Appreciate that. Good morning. Kia ora from, uh, from New Zealand, the land of hobbits. When you fly into New Zealand, they give you one, so you have a hobbit to... Uh... Uh, about a hundred years ago, I was a youth pastor um, in Minnesota, and um, we had a we had a pretty good youth ministry going. Lots of life. Did mission trips to Mexico. I think it's required if you're a youth pastor in Minnesota. And um, we did street evangelism. Had um, a theater group that went to different churches. A lot of really good stuff going on. But I used to see all these kids um, who wouldn't come to our youth group. And they were all the kind of kids that your parents didn't want you to hang out with, those kind of kids. Uh, and it really bothered me that these um, kind of anarchist, atheist kids couldn't hear the gospel in the way they could understand. So one of my youth staff and one of the kids in the youth group and I got together and we started praying. And we prayed every week for about six months. And we just said, Lord, we don't know what to do. But it's not right that these kids can't hear about you in a way they can understand and so, eventually, um, we decided we're going to start this Bible study uh, designed for anarchist, atheist kids. And uh, we were looking for a place to meet, because um, we didn't want to meet at the church building. And I saw a funeral home uh, that was sitting empty, because they had built a new sanctuary. And I thought, what a great place for a Bible study. Um, and back, this was in the 90s. These kids were kind of uh, into death metal music, and so I thought that, that would be perfect. Um, long story that I'll skip, but eventually we got permission to use this, this funeral home, and, and uh, Nathan, the kid in the youth group, passed out flyers at school inviting his friends to come to what we called the hardcore Bible study. And um, that first night, about, I don't know, six or seven kids showed up, Mohawks, piercings, the whole deal, and uh, Nathan, uh, we had Nathan preach that night, and he jumped on top of the thing that they used to put the coffins on at the funeral home. That's where we would preach from every week. And uh, he started talking about how Jesus healed the leper, and how Jesus touched the leper. And he went, when he got done, these kids said, that's me. I walked down the hall, and people pointed at me and called me dirty. 
at school. And they said, can we start earlier next week? I had not even thought about next week. I thought we were just going to do this, this one thing. And 17 years later, uh, we had planted a church um, in Minneapolis called the Salvage Yard Church. And uh, over the, all those years, we ended up in crazy places trying to communicate the gospel in a way people could understand the people who normally didn't get a chance to hear or who thought they had already heard and rejected Jesus, but they hadn't really heard about who Jesus was and uh, had so many wonderful adventures. And, and one of the places that we used to go to every year was called the Rainbow Gathering. Uh, I was at a coffee shop in, in Minneapolis, met this girl, and, and I was praying for her um, because she had told me about this festival she was going to. It was in the middle of nowhere in the mountains, and you know people banged on drums and did lots of drugs and talked about peace and love. And, and I felt like God said that we were supposed to go to the Rainbow Gathering. So I went back and told my team, and most of them disagreed, but a few said, yeah, let's go. And so we showed up down in New Mexico, near Taos, New Mexico, in the mountains, and we started feeding people. We set up the Jesus Kitchen at the Rainbow Gathering and fed people all day long and had worship services at night. And over the years, we saw God do amazing things at the gathering. But one, one year, I was cooking in our kitchen. You know, we set up the kitchen. I was cooking our Jesus rice, and uh, this guy came to me and said, Hi, we're Christians too. We should do something together at the gathering. I said, well, you know, what, what group are you with? And he said, well, well, we're called the family. I'm thinking, the family, the family. I'm trying to remember what that was. And then, and then I said, did you guys used to be called the children of God in the 70s? It's, and he said, yeah, yeah, we did. I said, well, you're a cult. <laughs> you used to send girls to sleep with guys in order to get them into your group. I said, if you haven't change it all. I don't, I'm not sure we can do anything at the gathering together. And so then he didn't want to be my friend anymore. Um, <laughs> later on that day, I was sitting underneath our tarps and another guy came up to me and said, hi, we're from the Baha'i camp. Will you post, you know, a schedule of our teachings at, you know, the Baha'i camp? And I said, well, yeah, yeah but we, we really don't, we don't believe the same things. And he said, yeah, 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 we, we actually do. We believe the same thing. I said, no, we don't. He said, yes, we do. I said, no, we don't. <laughs> You believe Baha'u'llah came back in the early 1900s and was the second coming of Christ. And I opened my Bible and I showed him in Matthew where Jesus talked about people being deceived, that many would come in his name. And I said, I, th I think you've been deceived. And so he didn't want to be my friend anymore either after that. <laughs> At the Rainbow Gathering, 20, 30,000 people, and there's all this confusion over what is of God and what isn't. Who is God? Just a ton of confusion. But I realized over the years that it's not just at the Rainbow Gathering where there's confusion about who God is and, and, and what the kingdom of God is like. It creeps into our churches, not like this church, like other, like other schools, other churches, not Crown, but um, you know, sometimes it can creep in and we can get confused over, over what is of God. And I think the text that was read this morning speaks to that issue. Jesus, the day before, had, had gone into the temple and cleansed it, kicked people out of the temple that were, that were selling things that people needed in order to worship, but disrupting it, ripping people off, and Jesus was angry about that. And so he cleansed the temple. It comes back the next day, and the religious leaders confront him, and they say, Jesus, what right do you have 
to kick people out of our temple? What authority do you have? Now, Jesus could have said, all. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. But he didn't. Instead, he asked them a question that cut to the heart of their problem, the religious leaders of the day. He asked them about John, the prophet John, John the Baptist. And he said, was John from God or was he not from God? And they were stuck because they thought John was a false prophet. And all the people believed that John was a prophet from God. And they were worried about getting stoned by the people if they said John was a false prophet. And they knew if they said he was a prophet, Jesus would have said, well, why didn't you follow him? Why didn't you listen to him? So they said, we didn't know. We don't know. And Jesus, I think, was fed up with the religious leaders at that point and said, well, I'm not going to answer your question. They couldn't recognize the things of God, even when it was standing in front of them. Now, what I want to do in the few minutes here, I want, to, I want to compare John's ministry and Jesus' ministry. Now, we all know Jesus was the Son of God, right? The incarnate God, God in the flesh. He was obviously from God. And if we read the first part of Luke, the first two chapters of Luke, you find out that John was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. And he was sent by God. He was a prophet of God. They had different kinds of ministries, different styles, but I think there were some similarities. And maybe if we look at a few of those similarities, it might help us recognize the things of God, help us recognize God. This isn't, you know, 10 steps to recognizing God, but they might be helpful. First thing I notice about John and Jesus, about their ministries, is that they made people uncomfortable, especially religious people. Therefore, if something makes me uncomfortable, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is not of God. I think sometimes, as Christians, we kind of determine the will of God for our life by how we feel about it. Well, it just doesn't, doesn't feel right. I think we just need to look at Scripture and we can find out that people, when they encountered the God of the universe, the holy God, the awesome God, they were uncomfortable at times. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is in the temple of all places and encounters God, Yahweh, in his holiness. And he says, woe is me. Woe is me. Moses in front of the burning bush loses his shoes. Scared. And, and the apostle Peter, the disciple, in chapter 5 of Luke, has this experience with Jesus where Jesus sends him out, back out into the, into the, to, the, the sea to, to do some more fishing after he fished all night long. Caught this amazing catch, the catch of his life, and he got scared. And he went to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you need to go away. I'm a sinful man. If I've never been in, uncomfortable in the presence of God, I think I need to pray for a greater revelation of who he is. I think I need to pray for that. And sometimes... Not only do we get uncomfortable in the presence of God, but sometimes he says, I want you to do something, and it makes us uncomfortable. I've had many experiences of being terribly uncomfortable over the years. 
Um, years ago, I'll pick one. Years ago, I was in Goa, India, and we were doing a, a kind of a ministry school and, and going out into these clubs at night. And they were, they were trans techno clubs. Um, so it was kind of this electronic music and everybody was dancing and then most of them are using drugs. And so we would go there to talk to people about Jesus. Not a brilliant plan because the music is so loud that you can't really talk to anybody. But fortunately, the police started shutting down the music for some reason at an early, relatively early hour. So we thought, great, we'll bring a guitar and when the, when the music stops, we'll play, we'll play Jesus songs. <laughs> thought that was a brilliant plan. So music would stop, we'd get out, we'd start playing guitar and sing our Jesus songs, and people would just gather around. And in Goa, people come to party there from Europe and Asia, and because they come from all over the world, they speak to each other in English. I'm fluent in English. <laughs> so it was really easy to, to, to talk with people. And so one night, it was my turn to play, and I'm, you know, I'm singing our Jesus songs, and this woman stands in front of me, this girl, and she just starts screaming at the top of her lungs at me. I don't know if you've ever had somebody do that when you're trying to, <laughs> trying to worship, and uh, I was really uncomfortable. I'm just thinking, what am I doing here? Why am I here? And she was on something, and I think she probably had some passengers on board too, and so she, she went away, and, and, then, and then there was like three guys sitting over there, and they started mocking me, which actually made me feel uh, kind of good because I was used to that from my own group. Um, <clears throat> so I thought, well, they must want to talk. So I handed the guitar to somebody. I went over and started talking to them. And uh, they were from Israel. And so we started talking about Jesus. And they go, yeah, Jesus, he grew up th 30 minutes from my house. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. I'd never, I'd never had that before. But I talked with them for a while and, and asked if I could pray pray for them, and um, they resisted at first, but then they said, yeah, yeah, will, will you pray for us? And I, I prayed over them, and God did something when I prayed. It was just a real melting of their hearts. And one of the guys, um, his name was Neville, I still remember, he, uh, I saw him, I, I prayed, Lord, show, show these guys how empty life is here in Goa without you. And I ran into him later on in the week uh, at a cafe. I said, hey, Neville, how you going? He's like, oh, got up today, smoked. Eight. Life is pretty empty. The whole time we were at these clubs in Goa, oh, I hated it. It was uncomfortable. And yet in the midst of that, we saw God do some pretty amazing things. Just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean that it's not from God. So we shouldn't rule it out. Second thing about John and Jesus, their, their message was about change. They both came on the scene and they said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. They both said that. They were calling people to something different, to a whole new way of life. I grew up going to church. I grew up going to a CMA church and um, good church. But I used to see some people that were, you know, they were in church, you know, for a hundred years they were going to church and, and, and they were kind of mean. You know, they were like the, the crabby, mean, old Christian. And I used to see that, and I used to say, if that's what it's like following Jesus your whole life, I don't want it. If that's what you become, I don't want it. Fortunately, there were some other older people at the church, and they were like the, the face of God. One of them was Tilly. She was a retired 
missionary, and, and Tilly used to pray for me. And when I started doing some of the crazy ministry, she used to write me letters and pray for me. One time I went to the church there and she kissed me on the forehead. I thought, I'm not ever gonna wash. <laughs> she revealed the character of God to me in a huge way. And this was a woman who changed all the way, all the way to the end. God does change people. I'm sure we could have people stand up right now and you could say, yep, God changed me. But I think it needs to be present tense as well. God changes people. I, I met a guy on the streets. His name was Jimmy. I have so many Jimmy stories. Jimmy was an atheist uh, and an anarchist and he was into martial arts and drugs. It was a bad combination. But Jimmy had a dream one night, and in his dream, God showed up, told him he was dead, he was dying. Now, when you're an atheist and God shows up in a dream, it makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> and like a week later, he met some people from our team, and he was irritated that these Christians were at this coffee shop where Christians weren't supposed to be. And he eventually came to our Bible study, and he gave his life to Jesus, and, uh, and it was great. And so we would go out to the coffee shops and Jimmy would come with us because that's, you know, that's what we did with new Christians. And, and, uh, and, and I remember one time we were at a coffee shop and, and Jimmy was talking to somebody and, and the guy was saying, I can heal myself, you know, the God within kind of deal. And so Jimmy took out his knife and he said, okay, I'm gonna stab you and I wanna see you heal yourself. And the guy goes, ha ha, I'm not scared. And Jimmy goes, you don't understand. I'm gonna stab you. <laughs> and I wanna see you heal yourself. So the guy got up and ran away and uh, <laughs> we eventually had to talk to Jimmy about, you know, it's not a good idea to threaten people <laughs> when you try and talk to them about Jesus. And probably be a good idea to get rid of the knife. Uh, but a few years later, I did Jimmy's wedding and we did it at a theater that we were renting in Minneapolis for, for our Bible study. And some of his old friends came to the wedding. And afterwards, one of them came up to me. And he said, I remember when Jimmy used to come into the cafe at night with his hands all bloody from fighting. He said, I don't know what happened to him, but he's different. I said, you're right. You're right. God's changed him. It was a battle hanging on to Jimmy. And change was slow. But God changes people. And he calls us to a life of change, a life of repentance, a life of turning around towards him. I'm getting older. And um, my body's getting different. <laughs> and I know eventually my body will wear out. But my character can change the entire way, all the way to the end. And that is my prayer that all the way to the end, I will keep changing. I don't wanna get stuck. You know people have gotten stuck, right? I don't wanna get stuck. Last thing about John and Jesus, about their message, was that it, the core of it was about relationship. John came to turn the hearts of Israel back to God and the hearts of the fathers back to their children. And Jesus, when asked, what's the greatest commandment? 
He said, love God with everything, everything you are, and love people. That's the core of it. The core of Christianity is about relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with each other. And if we miss that, we miss everything. We miss absolutely everything if we, if we don't get that. One year at the Rainbow Gathering, there was a guy standing next to our torches. We, after our worship service, we had these torches lit. And he had one of our Bibles, and he held the Bible up to the torch and was going to burn it. And I happened to be standing back next to him. I said, you don't have to burn that Bible. I'll take it if you, you don't want it. And he turned around, and he just, he just kind of threw the Bible at me. He said, this book is full of condemnation and hate and murder. Open it up anywhere. And I, I handed the Bible back to him. I said, well, I know this book pretty well. Why don't you open it up? So he took the Bible and he opens it up and he opened up to 1 Corinthians 13. You know, he starts, he starts reading, you know, this amazing chapter on love and he goes, wow, this is, this is beautiful. I said, yeah, it is, isn't it? He said, you don't think this is an accident, do you? I said, no, I don't. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was a pagan. He followed pagan religions. And his understanding of Christians and the Christian God was this Christians kill pagans throughout history. He, he didn't know a God of love. He didn't know a God of love. So for about an hour that night, I got to talk to him about this God of love. He didn't become a Christian that night, but for the first time in his life, he heard about this God who has done everything possible to have a relationship with him. The heart of our message is about relationship, loving God, and then loving each other, loving people. Sometimes we're known as Christians for what we're against. We're known for what we don't like. And I don't think that's the reputation God wants us to have. I was, uh, we used to feed people on the streets in Minneapolis. We did the Jesus Kitchen on the street, and one night I went there and there was these kids there and they, they, wanted a, they wanted a ride somewhere else. They were kind of street kids. And I said, sure, I'll give you a ride. I'll take you to another part of the city. And what I didn't realize is that when, when I was sitting outside that I realized when they got in my car is that they stunk really, really bad. And so I'm in the car driving them. I'm rolling down the window trying to breathe and really being irritated. It's like, these kids stink. They're stinking up my car. And I get him out of the car and I drive away and I'm just kind of irritated, all windows all down and, and I felt like God spoke to me. And I felt like he said, Mark, if that would have been me, would you have given me a ride? And I realized in that moment that I didn't love those kids. I cared more about how my car smelled than who these kids were. They eventually came to our Bible study and I actually got to pray with, 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 with one of them and, and he said to me, you know what? He said, I, I knew I was messed up. I knew I was messed up and you guys gave me a place to stay and you gave me something to eat. You showed me who God was. It's about relationship. So in closing, a couple questions. First of all, where am I choosing comfort over obedience? In my life right now, where am I choosing comfort over obedience? Second question, have I changed at all in the last year? 
If I look back at my life, have I changed at all or am I still dealing with the same stuff and not growing? Last thing, do I love God? If people saw me and they tried to characterize who I, who I am, would they say, yeah, there's Mark, he really loves God. And he really loves people. Let's pray. Lord, help us in these weeks to recognize you and to recognize what you're saying and what ultimately matters. And we need your help, Lord. We need a gift because we'll miss it otherwise. If you don't reveal it to us, Lord, we'll miss it. So help us. I pray this in your name. Amen. You're dismissed.